Amen. Well, welcome to Creekside Church. If you haven't found a spot to sit, come on in. Also, welcome to those who are joining us from home. Uh, We're just glad that you can uh, worship with us this morning, whether in person or in spirit. Just want to bring a few announcements to our attention this morning. Um, Next week, we are having a recognition for our high school and college graduates uh, like we normally do. So um, if you would like to bring a card, uh, feel free to, to bring that next week, and we will have a chance to give them a round of applause and, and congratulate them. Also, Alec and Annie's, uh, Annie Packer are expecting a baby soon. Uh, so you have an opportunity to uh, drop off gifts at Creekside or uh, use Amazon. They have a gift registry. Uh, information on your screen or uh, look at the Creekside News. The Haiti trip is another thing that's coming up. Uh, Details are happening now, though, so the dates for that are September 30th through October 9th. So if you are interested, uh, talk to Norb or Karen Metzler or or reach out to one of the other uh, team members who went on the trip last year. And if you have questions, just a great opportunity to find out more. We also want to remind you that we still have an opportunity to uh, give to, to the Martinez family. Information on the screen, but uh, really if you would like to, you can drop a gift in our offering box, or there's a special basket here at church where you can leave them a gift. If you also would like to mail something into Creekside and just designate it uh, for Reuben, uh, then you can do that as well. And just we want to continue to lift up uh, his family in prayer. Finally, there's just a couple uh, of prayer announcements that Steve shared with me this morning. Um, We want to pray for Mary Bristow. She's uh, currently uh, hospitalized at Methodist uh, with some some health issues, uh, non-coronavirus related. So we want to lift up Mary Bristow, as well as Merle and Patty Jones. Um, Dorothy Eisenmenger, some of you may may know or not know, has has been... uh, is not doing well um, uh, has, after having contracted coronavirus. So uh, let's just bow our heads. I'll, I'll lift up those uh, prayer requests, and then Steve will come up. Uh, Father, we thank you that we can gather in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. Father, you deserve all the glory and the honor and the praise. And we pray that our, our time in your word will be sweet, will be an encouragement to our hearts. We also pray for those who are struggling, hurting, or ill this morning. Uh, We want to lift up Mary Bristow. Lord, may you bring a doctor's healing touch upon her and help her to uh, be recovered and and home soon. We also want to pray for Merle and Patty Jones and uh, ask that you give them comfort during this difficult time. Uh, Father, we thank you that Jesus is the great physician. Lord, the, the physician of our bodies, but more importantly, of our souls, and that we can run to you for refuge and strength at all times. Lord, we lift up our morning to you. We ask for your blessing upon it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. We're excited for our second week of actual in-person services, so Good that you're joining with us. I'm going to invite you to look to the Lord with me in prayer as I prepare to open his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, 
You are our Father, great and awesome and greatly to be praised. We come this morning grateful for what you've done and who you are, wanting to acknowledge your goodness to us, your greatness, your power, your mercy. We come as needy people to you, our mighty God, asking that you would work in our hearts that we might be more surrendered, more fully yielded, more fully devoted to you, praying and asking that you would open our eyes that we might behold wonderful truths from your word, that you might be exalted, magnified, and for those who are listening or here who may not fully understand what it means to be in a relationship with you, we pray that you would draw them to yourselves, self, and that you would work in their hearts, that they would surrender and come into a right relationship with you. We commit this time and your word to you, we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. I was thinking about a couple weeks ago, we had Mother's Day, and I thought, well, you know, you see stuff on Facebook, and I haven't been on Facebook a lot, or social media, and you're like, why do we put on social media what we have done for or what we have given to our mother? What's that about? Well, my mom's the greatest mom in the world. I just wanted you all to know that, right? Well, yeah. And I'm not trying to poo-poo anything that you did or might have done or whatever, but I want to say this, that at least in part, it might have been a little bit selfish. Maybe there's a little part of us that kind of wants the world to know just how good of a child I am, that I would recognize my mom and appreciate my mom. Now, I just know that the subtleness of our sinful hearts is such that even in something as innocent and as well-meaning as praising our moms, we can still be looking at ourselves, and that doesn't stop there. The text we're going to be looking at this morning indicates that we can even bring this selfishness into the most spiritual of activities. We've been looking at Matthew. In Matthew chapter 5, we considered the fact that the faulty understanding of the law that the scribes and the Pharisees had kept them from actually practicing true piety in the presence of people. In fact, their hypocritical conduct contrasts with the visible practice of righteousness that God calls his people to, that he expects from his children. Now in chapter 6, as we have got started in chapter 6, what we're finding is that the visible practices of piety that the religious people engaged in were actually not the kind of righteousness that God calls his people to, which is a secret righteousness, a secret righteousness that is for his eyes only, or as we see this morning, for his ears only. It's to come into his presence, it's to be worshiping God without hypocrisy and genuineness, understanding that we're in a relationship with him, and it's in his presence that we serve and live. Last week, we saw the first illustration of this practicing righteousness for his eyes only with regard to giving. And now, this morning, we're going to look at the practice of righteousness with regard to our prayer life. And so I would invite you to turn in your Bibles or look at your device and get to Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 5 through 15. 
And we're going to look this morning at these two instructions for avoiding hypocrisy and living righteously in the presence of God in the matter of prayer. I'm in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. And when you pray, you are not to be as the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners in order, in order to be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then in this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Here we have a long and lengthy text that's sometimes very familiar, the Lord's Prayer contained in this text. I want you to look at the first of these instructions that helps us avoid hypocrisy and to live righteously in the presence of God. First of all, we're to pray secretly, and this is found in verses 5 and 6, okay? And this instruction takes shape in the form of two commands, and it's interesting as the text unfolds before us that both of these commands, the big commands we are to pray in secret, has both a, a negative and a positive. First of all, the negative prohibition against publicity in our prayers. He says in verse 5, and when you pray, so there's an expectation that we pray. That religious, pious people, people who are in relationship with him, we pray. When you pray, Pray for the right reason and in the right way. Our communication with God is not to be, as he says, not to be as the hypocrites. The scribes and Pharisees are the ones who are in view here, right? They're the religious leaders against which Jesus is contrasting the righteousness of his people with the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Back to chapter 5, verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll not enter the kingdom of heaven. But it's to be seen, this prayer of the, of the hypocrites, in end of verse 5, in order to be seen by men. They wanted to get people's attention. And so they prayed in public, where everyone would see. To seen by men. So Jesus is condemning this spiritual showmanship. I hope the state fair goes on this year. But some of you have been to the Iowa State Fair, and at the Iowa State Fair we have all these vendors and the vendors are vying for the prime spot, the prime real estate, right? Because they want to sell their stuff and they want you to buy their stuff. They're about the show because that brings them the money. When we are God's people, we're not to be about the show. The warning here, you say, well, he's writing this to condemn the hypocrites, the scribes and Pharisees. Well, it has relevance for us as well. Don't let us escape it. See, our depravity makes self-exaltation, makes self-gratification 
in prayer a very real potentiality. I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones says on this point. He says, this tendency to self-adulation, to be concerned about ourselves and elevate ourselves and be concerned about what people think of us, is something that follows us even into the very presence of God. You think about that. We're supposed to be worshiping God. And yet, even in this simple manner of worshiping God, we are guilty oftentimes of elevating ourselves, of focusing on ourselves. The subtlety of and our proclivity towards hypocrisy and prayer makes self-examination necessary. And I think that's what Jesus is getting to in this text. You think about it. Meeting somebody now, this is before all of the craziness that went on, but you, we were talking in the lobby after church or in the sanctuary and somebody shared a prayer request and you may, and I hope and I pray we get back to this, we, we would say, you know, can I just pray for you right now? And so you just bow your heads and close your eyes and you pray right there. You pray if you're a, a parent in, in front of, of your children. You pray in small groups. We, we pray. If someone says they have a need, you say, well, I'll pray for you. And it could be. It could very well be that at least in part, that's about me. And not just about going to God for them. It's possible. Now, I'm not saying that we should stop praying for people. I'm not saying we should stop saying we're going to pray for you. I'm not saying we should stop praying in small groups, or anything like that. But it's like frustrating and convicting that I could even be doing that which is supposed to be the most spiritual avenue for me. So that you'll think, oh, this person is very spiritual. It's convicting. Lloyd-Jones says this portion of Scripture is one of the most searching and humbling in the entire realm of Scripture. It's not a prohibition against praying in public. I think of 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon lifting his hands before the entire congregation of people, praying, and it's in a long prayer in public. In the book of Acts, the first chapter, the second chapter, they're devoting themselves to prayer. Where? Together. As they prayed, they prayed together. The disciples were in the upper room. They were praying in the upper room together. You know, so it's not that you, we shouldn't pray in public. It's not that we shouldn't pray before other people. The question is, are we focusing on God or ourselves when we're praying? When I was in college, I, during the summer, I worked a construction crew for a couple of years and I remember we were on a job one time. We were building a brand new house. And this was for a farmer. And he evidently was not pleased with our lack of progress on the house. And so he told our boss, who was the owner of the company, the construction company, that he wasn't pleased because the big boss came out to the construction site. You know you're in trouble when the big boss shows up at the place of work. You know, something's not going well. And so he got out there, and the, the farmer guy was there, and they were talking it over. And, and, and as soon as the big boss left, our job was to roof the house. Well, it was a pretty simple ranch-style house, you know, just had a nice, easy roof like this. And, 
it wasn't, it didn't take long to get, you know, shingles up there, slap some tar paper down and get some shingles up there. And I used to work with a, an old Norwegian named Eagle, Eagle Otland. And I was working with him up on the roof. We were shingling the house and Eagle says, it's a show, it's a big show. It was, it was a big show. You know, we can put a lot of shingles down on the roof and make it look like you got a lot done in a short amount of time. I wonder. The appearance of progress was a show for the Pharisees and for oftentimes for us, the appearance of spirituality can be a show. It's a show. It's a show. It's a big show. At the end of verse 5, he says, Truly I say to you, they have their reward." Similar to what we talked about in the area of giving. They, they did it to be seen by men and then they got their reward. What was their reward? Well, people thought they were a very spiritual person. That's it. They got their pat on the back and nothing more. Hypocrites get noticed. That's it. It's easy to just get a reward from what people think. I heard this week that Norma McCovey, who was the infamous Jane Roe in the Roe v. Wade decision in 1973, uh, was on her deathbed, and on her deathbed she recanted her opposition to abortion. So, see, initially she was the one who brought the case to the Supreme Court, or is in her name, and they legalized abortion, and so she was a supporter. Then later she recanted of that and uh, found faith or whatever, and then she was for years an opponent of abortion, and then on her deathbed now she's a proponent of abortion, or at least she's recanting her opposition to it. So at one point in her life she was a heel or a hero to both sides. That's her reward. As believers, do we want a reward just to be, well, people thought he was a spiritual person or she was a spiritual person. You see, there's this negative prohibition against publicity. Then there's a positive admonition for privacy in our prayers. And this is in verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room. Inner room. Yeah. Prayer for his ears only has two features. First of all, it eliminates distraction. If we're praying for His ears, we're going to eliminate distraction because we want to focus on God and we want to pray to Him. To shut the door, to go into your private room and shut the door is just to seek privacy, free from distraction. But it doesn't have to be, and please don't take this literally again, as we read through the Sermon on the Mount, we see that Jesus oftentimes uses figurative language or, or hyperbole to get his point across now it doesn't mean we can't go into our private closet and pray we should do that but guess what I want you to look at Mark chapter 1 verse 35 or you can write it down because in Mark chapter 1 verse 35 it says in early morning while it was still dark Jesus got up left the house and went away to a secluded place and was praying there so privacy is not just about being in the house it's wherever we can find privacy, free from distraction. So I ask you this morning, if you're here and you're listening and you know Jesus, do you have a private place? 
I know, was it the Wesleys, John and Charles Wesley, their mom, I think, the story goes, she was the mother of 19 kids. So her private place was in the middle of the living room with a sheet pulled over her head. (laughs) And when mom had the sheet pulled over her head, sorry kids, this is mom's time with God. Now, maybe you need to go into your bathroom and lock the door. I don't know. Maybe it is a a little alcove in the basement. Maybe it is on the deck. Maybe it is a walk down the trail or in the woods. It's a private place. Do we have a private place free from distractions? And in that place, we tune out ourselves, we tune out others, and we tune into God. I can be in a closet and still be full of myself. I might as well be on the street corner. It's possible. That's the, that's the nasty part about the, the sin which still inhabits our being is that it can pervade and permeate and pervert even the most spiritual activity. Then, secondly, it, it, prayer that is for here's the years only, first of all, eliminates distraction, then it focuses our attention. Notice he says in verse 6, and go into your inner room, and when you have shut the door, that is, you've found the seclusion, you've tuned out yourself, tuned out others, and you've tuned into God, pray to your Father. He's a Father to all who are His children through faith in His Son, Jesus. Galatians chapter 3 verse 26 makes it very clear when Paul says this, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, this is a prayer, this is an instruction, an admonition to those who are his children. And I wonder this morning if you're one of his children. Are you trusting in Jesus? Through faith in Jesus. Do you understand, as Isaiah said, all we like sheep have gone astray, each one has turned to his own way. And then he goes on to say, and the iniquity of all, he's caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. That we're all sinful, we deserve his judgment, but Jesus paid the price. He paid the debt. And God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans chapter 5 verse 8. That we deserve death, judgment, and punishment, but Christ died in our place. And then when we put our faith or our trust in what he did for us on the cross, we become God's children. And so when we say our Father, when we say, when we pray to, he says, your Father, I want you to think about three pictures that come to mind with regard to Father. Three Father truths. Now, for some of you, I understand that Father picture is not a pleasant one. We're talking about our Heavenly Father here, okay? I'm going to talk a little bit more about this in a few minutes. But think about these three things. First of all, we think of His majesty. Your Father speaks of God the Father. His majesty, as Isaiah found out in Isaiah chapter 6, he was in the, in the year of King Uzziah's death, he was in the temple, and he saw the cherubim and heard them saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And what was Isaiah's response? Woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Think of 1 John 1, verse 5. 
in Him, in the Father, is no, no darkness at all. Absolutely no darkness, only light, which means no sin, only holiness. That's our Father, His majesty. He is sovereign. He is alone to be feared. Secondly, His mercy. Our Father is a term of endearment. It's a a term of, of affection. It's been too long, but I don't forget those days when our kids were younger and I'd walk into the house and the most joy-filling words you can hear are daddy, daddy, daddy and they come to you running with their arms outstretched. Boy, I miss those days. You know, they get older, they don't do that anymore. Uh, it's, it's, it's weird. But you know what? That's the kind of relationship we have with our Heavenly Father. Daddy, He's our our dad. And guess what? As a loving Father, He knows what we need. He cares about what's happening. He wants to be in on it with us. And He desires the best for us. See, we direct our attention to Him and He delights in us. His majesty and His mercy. And finally, His might. Now unto Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to His power, be glory in the church through Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, a little loose of a, a quotation there. But the point is, he's able to do far greater. You know, when you're a kid, if you have a healthy relationship with your father, you think, Dad can do anything. I mean, my dad can move mountains. Not really. But God can, and we pray. Nothing our God cannot do. And so prayer in private is an act of faith. Because when I go into my private place, and when I set aside time to pray, guess what? I'm not getting the laundry done. I'm not getting all of the junk and clutter off of the countertop. I'm not getting the project finished. I'm not able to enjoy the leisure that I want. I miss out on a little bit of sleep when I go into my private place to pray. And then it says at the end of verse 6 that he rewards us. He repays us. How, How does he do that? He repays us with deeper communion with him. He repays us with concrete answers to our prayers. Guess what? Our children may come back to the Lord. Our our spouse may begin to be more sensitive and compassionate and loving. Our co-workers may be more receptive to the gospel. Our neighbors may even actually put their faith in Jesus because we begin to pray. We are first and foremost to pray secretly. Secondly, we are to pray secretly sincerely sincerity in prayer is a function of our obedience to two commands again a negative and a positive there's a negative prohibition against vanity this is verses seven and eight and when you are praying do not use meaningless repetition as the gentiles do for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words therefore do not be like them for your father knows that you need what you need before you ask him we're turning to the matters of how, we to, how we're to pray and what we're supposed to be praying. Do not. 
Jesus condemns long-winded babbling. <laughs> okay? Long prayers are not the problem. It's long prayers that don't say anything except repeating the same vain things over and over and over and over and over again because we think that if we speak a long time, we're going to manipulate God into giving us what we're asking for. First Kings chapter 18, many of you know the story, the prophets of Baal. You know what a joke it was because they were out there from morning until noon crying out and praying and vainly babbling before the gods. All Elijah did was say, Lord, do it. And boom! You know, the sacrifice, the, the, the stones, the water, the dirt, all of it just whoosh, suddenly instantaneously gone. See, God doesn't need our vain repetition. This has been a long time ago. When I was in college, this was in the age of before, before personal computers, so we weren't, we weren't doing this online, you know, taking our tests. And we had, I don't know if they even do these now, we had called essay questions, you know, where you have to actually write stuff out. You know, not just multiple choice, true or false, or give a guess and everybody gets a good grade. No, we had to write down the answers in a blue book in legible form so that the professor could actually read what we had written. And I was going to grab one of these blue books. Some, some of you don't know what they are, but they're just a little pamphlet, you know, with a bunch of blank pages in it. Well, the prevailing thought among some college students is the more you write, the better grade you get. So you just fill that thing up with whatever you, I mean, you know, start talking about your mom, your dad, your latest vacation, whatever, the, it doesn't matter what the question, just fill it up. And pretty soon the professor will get tired of reading and just give you a good grade or something, I don't know. See, God is not, not so vain as our professors were not so vain. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 give some profound wisdom when it comes to prayer. I want you to look at if we have that for people to read, we don't have it. Yeah, there it is. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God. And draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. I don't know about you, but I find myself talking more profusely in a relationship with somebody when I'm nervous. Because they just don't think about what I'm saying. Same's true with our prayer life. We're not really sure what we're supposed to say, but we know that we're supposed to say something, and we're probably supposed to say a lot because God's important. No. See, prayer for His ears only is not an attempt to impress Him with our oratory skills our expansive vocabulary, our good grammar, our intelligent, cohesive thoughts. We're supposed to talk to him like we talk to anybody else. It's not us manipulating him. So he says, why no vain repetition? And I want to point you to a phrase in, the, in this whole text that, I don't know, I just, it just warms my heart. At the end of verse 8, he says, therefore, do not be like them. Why not be like them? Four. Circle the four, that's because, that's the reason. Why not be like them? 
Now, why not be like them? For your Father knows what you need before you ever ask. Can you imagine that? You know, you go up to your, you go up to your earthly father and you say, um, Dad, you know what? I was really thinking about this and, you know, I really would like to have you uh, give me the key car, cars, the key, keys of the car because I really would like to go out and, and spend some time with my friends. I'd really like you to give me the keys of the car. I want the keys of the car. If you could give me the keys of the car, I'd really like the keys of the car because if I had the keys of the car, then I'd go out with my friends and have the keys of the car and I could have some fun with my friends if I had the keys of the car. And your dad says, you want the keys of the car? Okay, here they are. This key is the car. I know what you need. Our Heavenly Father knows what we need. Think about that. You, you, you go to God in prayer and He knows exactly what you need. He knows exactly what we need before we ever open our mouth. This blows my mind. Thank you, Father, for knowing our needs. He knows our needs. Before we ever ask. Our prayers do not educate God to anything. They only express our reliance upon him as our good father who wants to give us what's best for us. That's not always what we ask him for. But it's always what's best for us. Then there's the positive side. That was the negative prohibition against vanity in our prayers. Now the positive admonition for sincerity in our prayers. And this is the Lord's Prayer. Pray then in this way, he says. Now, I I really believe that this is a pattern for prayer. Again, uh, not a magic formula, okay? So not like I I do this, cross all the T's, dot all the I's, then God's a vending machine. I punch in the money and pull the chain. Out comes what I want. No. Six components to this prayer. First of all, there's a prayer. The prayer is admiration. Prayer for his ears only is admiration. It's our Father. Now notice, this is our Father. He's not just saying my Father. Our Father. All who name the name of Jesus, all who are children of God through faith in Christ, he is our Father. Our Father. Who art in heaven. And our Father communicates a couple of things. First of all, it communicates God's supremacy and our frailty. He is our Father. We are his children. There is a relationship there. It's a relationship of authority and submission. And so, if we studied all the prayers in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, what you'd find is that this is a typical pattern. There is an acknowledgement of God's supremacy and our dependency, our frailty before God. Daniel chapter 9 is one of the prime examples, but it's all throughout the Scripture. Secondly, this designation, our Father, conveys endearment affirming his mercy and our intimacy. When I say to my dad, dad, that's a term of respect and it's a term of a relationship. When we say to our father, our father in heaven, it is a term of respect and it is a term of reverence for God, our relationship with him. So it's reverence and relationship. Both are there. And he's in heaven. Think about this. Okay, for all of you who haven't had a good father, this is good news. Because he is our father who is in heaven. You see, he's not a father like earthly fathers who are fickle and who fail us and who are faulty. 
and all of us are, some more than others, okay? But he's perfect, and he's powerful. We approach God as our righteous maker and our loving father. There's admiration. Then there's adoration. He says, hallowed be your name, or holy be your name. He's revered as holy. And notice he didn't use the name of God, which was intentional. The Jews would not mention the name of Jehovah because they wouldn't want to be struck dead because he was reverent and holy. So they used your name as a designation of reverence in all of his glory. He's sovereign. He's supreme. He's self-existent. He's holy and righteous and just and merciful and all-powerful. All of who God is, holy is your name. I come before you, my heavenly Father is holy. And we treat him as holy. And when we don't treat him as holy, look out. You think of Numbers chapter 20. Moses, of all people, the one of the most humble men who ever walked the face of the earth by God's declaration. Numbers. God says, Moses, speak to the rock. And the water will come out to satisfy the people's thirst. What does Moses do? Whack, whack, whack. He hits the rock. Okay. You're not going into the promised land, Moses. You want to treat me this way? You want to mess with me? See, this is the thing I have a problem with. We, we, we know that God is our father. But he's not our buddy. You know, he's not, he's not some chum. Some of you are familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia. Aslan is not safe. Okay? God is not safe. But he is good. He is good. Several years ago, there was this story of this father, earthly father. And his daughter uh, posted some pretty nasty stuff on Facebook about her parents. You know, as a high school student, just kind of ranting to her friends about how her parents are oppressive and they make her do chores and they're, you know, limit her ability to do this and have fun, blah, 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 blah. Well, she didn't know that her parents got on Facebook and found out about it. And so on YouTube, the dad went, took her laptop computer out into the front yard, took his 45 and blew holes right through her computer. Now, I'm not advocating that. I'm not supporting that. I'm just saying, you want to mess with that, Dad? Here's what you got, girl. It's a blown-up computer. God is holy. Treat Him as holy. Prayer begins with worship. We admire our Father, and we adore our Father, and we align ourselves with our Father. Look at verse 10. Your kingdom come expresses our longing, our longing for God to reign and for His will to be done in the lives of men and women. That's what a kingdom is with a king. Your kingdom come, your rule be worked in our lives. Now, there's three aspects of this I want to tease out for you that I think are helpful for me as I think about this in prayer. First of all, there is this aspect of God's kingdom being extended now in believers' hearts. Because the Bible teaches that when Jesus came to this earth, he says the kingdom of God is upon you. John said it in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here. But there's also a sense in which after Jesus left, that the kingdom of God is now 
his rule and reign in the hearts and lives of men and women who are his children. And so to this end, when we say your kingdom come, your will be done, we're saying, Lord, may your kingdom, may your rule and reign be extended now in my heart through more complete worship of you and more consistent surrender to you. This is a prayer that, that, that God would rule in every aspect of our lives because, folks, submission is a problem for fallen man. And it doesn't take a very old, young person to demonstrate that. You can take a six-month-old and you tell them no. They will look at you and they'll go do exactly what you told them not to do. And they understand perfectly what they're doing. It's antithetical for us to submit. Our, 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 our sinful self clamors for doing it my way. For my kingdom. I'm going to build my kingdom. And this manifests itself in lots of ways. We gravitate towards, I wanna, I'm going to build my kingdom with a prestigious position. I'm going to build my kingdom with a big bank account. I'm going to build my kingdom with more authority and less responsibility, a nicer home, a fancier car. Now, I'm not saying that any of those things in and of themselves is wrong. But when it's building my kingdom, that's trouble. You see, I can only speak from my own heart. But I know that there are times when opulence, you know, having nice things is more important than obedience. When happiness trumps holiness. When safety wins out over serving. When comfort, you know, is more important than character. Just don't make waves. When selfishness is better than sacrifice when popularity is more important than purity. I was thinking about someone who, who's trying to let the kingdom reign in their heart more consistently, and I don't hold this person up in some sort of idolic way, idiolic or like an idol way, but Steph Curry is one of the best basketball players in the NBA. And Steph Curry is openly declaring his faith in Jesus Christ. He lives and seeks to live for the kingdom. Now, does he do it perfectly? No, he doesn't do it. But what I want to say is his, he's doing what's admirable even though it is not always acceptable in the culture. That's it. So we pray. We pray to see God's reign in the hearts and lives of his people now more submissive. Secondly, we pray to see God's reign in the hearts and lives of others who don't know God. We want them to enter the kingdom of God. And so we pray for the gospel to go forth with effectiveness and that people will come to faith in Jesus Christ. Your kingdom come. Lord, may your kingdom come into the hearts and lives of my neighbors and my family and my friends who don't know you, that they would serve you and live for you and surrender their will and their way to you. I don't know about you, but I am often convicted about my lack of passion for what's at the heart of God, for the lost souls around us to come to know him. And I invite you, if you're listening and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that the Father wants and I want to pray and desire more than anything that you would become part of His family, that you'd enter the kingdom of God. 
You become one of his children. You turn from your sin and trust that Jesus' death paid the price that you deserve to pay so you'll enter his kingdom. And then I ask those of us who know Jesus, are we praying for people? Do we have names? You know, like there's a name that I pray for that this person would come to faith in Jesus Christ, that God would use me in their life to share the gospel, to show the gospel, to reach them for Jesus. Your kingdom come, Lord. We pray, your kingdom come. Do I want the kingdom to come into the lives of people that I know? And finally, we pray your kingdom come in the sense that we're asking for the coming of God's future kingdom to be realized on earth. So his name is magnified. He's glorified. We're praying for the end when Christ returns and his kingdom is established on this earth. We pray. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. As Peter says, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will, merit, will melt with intense heat. Do we pray with John at the end of Revelation? Come, Lord Jesus. You think about it. Disease. COVID-19. Think about death. Our brother Reuben, Dorothy Isaminger, on the doors of death. Think about disease and death. Think about not only those things, but the dishonesty that we see around us, the denial of religious liberty. We see discrimination. We see decadence all around us. It is horrible. Is there not a sense in which we say, oh, we long for it to be better. And that only will be better. It will only be eliminated in the coming kingdom. And only in the coming kingdom will his will be done on earth completely as it is in heaven. Only in his glorious kingdom will that be true. Look at the end of verse 10 on earth as it is in heaven. So what do we pray? We pray, your kingdom come. We pray for surrender of my heart and soul to the will and the way of God. We pray for the salvation of those who don't know God so they will come into the kingdom. And we pray for the soon return of Jesus. That's praying, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Only, and then the text switches. He said, only after we've sought the glory of God, do we seek our good. Praise is first, then petition. But most of the time, we start with petition and forget praise. We got our wish list. We got our God's, you know, our, our honeydew list for God. Uh, if he'll do this, 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 then we're good. So next we move to prayer for our daily needs. Bread. Give us this day our daily bread. It's just a representation of our basic needs. Food, water, shelter, clothing, wisdom to parent our children. Courage to be a witness for Jesus. Boldness to share Christ. Physical healing. I'll never forget, well, I, sh I was thinking about that when I said it when I was thinking about this message, and I thought, I'm not going to say that, because, you know, I don't know if I'll ever forget it. I may forget it. I don't want to forget. My dear wife, one time, we were just getting started in ministry, and, you know, we didn't have much, and so Marla was uh, hanging a few clothes up, and she was thinking, you know, 
I really need some hangers. And so she said, Lord, could you give us some hangers? And like within a day, somebody was volunteering, you know, hey, we got some hangers. You guys need any hangers? Seriously. That's, that's, not, a, that's not a joke. You see, our Father knows your needs. And He cares. And He gives what's best for us. Prayer is also for cleansing and forgive our debts as we forgive those who sin against us. A debt is a sin, okay? It's a moral obligation. And you have to read verses 12, 14, and 15. I think they all go together, okay? So it's all, and it's kind of a gnarly statements about, well, if you don't forgive, then God won't forgive. And it's like, whoa, what do you do with all that? That's kind of confusing. Does that mean that I'm not a Christian? If I don't forgive somebody else, uh, here's my take on it, okay? First of all, when, you, when we see forgive us our debts, we acknowledge our, we're, impre- we're imperfect. <laughs> Even as children of God. Now remember, he's writing this to those who are his children, so we're imperfect. We have jealousy, we have greed, we have selfishness, we have pride, we sin, okay? And so this is a prayer acknowledging our sinfulness and calling us into, back into full communion with God. Folks, you can read Colossians chapter 2. When a person puts their faith or their trust in Jesus Christ, their sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. They've been nailed to the cross, taken care of, paid for. But as we walk through this life, we sin. And to maintain this fellowship, this relationship with God, there's a need for confession. That's 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's this communion that I think he's talking to here, talking about here. We only rightly ask to receive God's forgiveness when we have responsibly extended that pardon to others. I think that's what he's saying here. He's saying a person, a forgiven person, if I've been forgiven because I've trusted in Christ as my Savior, then I will forgive other people because I have received mercy, I will extend mercy. And if I'm not willing to extend mercy, then why would God forgive me of my you know, it's like, get your act together, Steve, and then and I'll consider forgiving you for your transgression here in this case. If I regard iniquity in my heart, he will not hear me. I think that's kind of the, the take on it. Our reception of God's forgiveness in Christ motivates me to forgive others so that God then will indeed forgive me when I mess up all along the way. Dr. Turner, in his commentary, says, God's initiative in graciously forgiving us through Christ should motivate us to forgive others. Finally, prayer guards against drift. And lead us not into temptation. Okay, God never tempts us. He's not talking about tempting us. Don't lead us into temptation. God, guard us from those temptations. And when those temptations come, steal us to resist them. Strengthen us. Our prayer for God's strength to keep us from experiencing temptation and from yielding to the enticements of the enemy. Now, see, some deliver us from evil. Some texts say deliver us from the evil one. And I think this is kind of the idea that he's delivering us from the enticements of the evil one. So either keep us from experiencing them, or when we experience them, give us grace and strength to resist them. 
Prayer that God would expose the craftiness of the deception and give us courage and strength to resist it. I've mentioned this before, but I keep driving by this place down on University on 73rd Street. As you go down uh, where University crosses 73rd Street here in uh, Urbandale, West Des Moines, they got this, I mean, perpetual construction project going on. You know, it's kind of like they got a, 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 a 300 foot piece of concrete that they've had out for I don't know how many months. So uh, maybe they're quarantining. So they're, uh, they're, they're just taking a long time, it seems like. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. They're, they're taking a long time. So anyhow, you can only, westbound, you can only use one lane. So you have to divert away from it. So we're praying that God would divert us away uh, from trouble. Because if you go down that path, you're going to be in trouble. So we're praying for God to divert us from trouble. And the Spirit of God is aware of my thoughts, my actions, my deeds, my intentions. And He alone is able to, you know, hey, tap me on the shoulder, wake me up and say, stop, don't go there. That's a bad choice. And direct us another way. So the Lord's Prayer, folks, is a pattern. It's a pattern, a model for us, for us, the components of which should be kept in mind as we come to God in prayer. Interestingly enough, it's a call to private prayer, which we most often have heard in public. True? I mean, some of you grew up saying, now let us pray as we've been taught to pray. Our Father who art in heaven. How, and everybody says it, right? You know, our Father you know, in unison. Everybody's saying, I thought we just got done talking about going into your closet. Now we're all standing here in public praying. Well, he says, our Father. So there's a sense in which it is a public thing. It is for a public use. But again, it's the heart issue, not the platform that, that's most important. And then he says, this doxology, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Now, you have to be careful who you're repeating the Lord's Prayer with because some denominations, some people don't include that. I remember standing at a service one time. We were doing a nursing home service and a brother of mine was leading in the Lord's Prayer and he stopped that lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And I kept going, you know, as I'm of the Protestant tradition and we just kept uh, you know, and so here I was reciting the end of the Lord's Prayer by myself, but it's glory. From glory to glory, where do we start? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Where do we end? Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Brings it to a close. So you may be listening and you say, you know, I'm, I don't really know about Jesus. I'm not really a child of God. I really don't consider myself his child. I would say to you this. Think about this. If the loving Heavenly Father, through His Son, warned us, who are His children, about the nefarious nature of our own sinful tendency to elevate ourselves. Where does that leave you? In, in our spiritual condition. I mean, no, we're, we're doing spiritual stuff. If Christians can mess it up doing spiritual stuff, then that only proves an indictment against all of humanity that we don't have a chance apart from God. Apart from divine intervention, we are never going to be in a right relationship with God. Only through faith in Christ is there victory over the power of sin, even in the most spiritual of activities. Only in a relationship with Christ will there ultimately be deliverance from the penalty of sin. And the presence of sin. And even in glory, the potentiality of sin. We won't even be possible to sin there. 
And I just want you to consider putting your faith and your trust in Christ that you too might be able to go to your heavenly Father, even imperfect as we are. And believers, you know, we mess up. We, we don't do it right. This is not a beat you down thing. This is a call to consider, okay? For his ears only, prayer begins with private devotion and private adoration before petition. So think about this. Am I elevating his majesty in my prayers? Who God is? First, you read the prayers in the Old Testament. Always, 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 they are elevating God. It's like, then they have like one request, like at the end of the prayer. It's like, hmm, no big deal. Give us victory over our enemies. Lead us in victory. Am I elevating God's majesty? Are you enjoying God's mercy? Are you a child of God? Do you understand that he is your father? That he knows what you need, he knows what we need before we ever ask, and that we can come into his presence, crawl up into his lap, and pray. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace, that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. What a blessed thought. I can come to my dad and I can, he, he can hear me and he, he knows me. And then finally, are we expecting his mighty power? Do I expect him to do something when I pray? So consider these things and confess. Lord, you know, I'm, I'm messed up. I know. God, help me in my time of prayer to pray for your ears only. Even when I'm in public, to pray for your ears only. And then be comforted as part of God's family. And what a blessed way to think about it as we break bread and as we take the cup that we're able to be his family because of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. So that all who believe become his children and then we can pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Let's pray. Father, you're a great, great Father. A great and good God who is majestic and powerful. And Lord, help us never to make light of your majesty and your magnificence, your transcendence. And help us to approach you with humility and brokenness. We praise you for who you are. We praise you for what you've done. We praise you that we are undeserving, but you have called us to your family. We come and ask that you would reign supreme in our lives, that you would bring those who are even listening today to a realization of their need to put their faith or their trust in Christ so that they can be your children too. And we pray, dear Father, that you'd give us a greater longing for and a desire to pray for the coming of Christ and the establishment of your kingdom in that future and final kingdom. And we come praying for grace to live today, to bring you glory in all we do and say, in Jesus' name.